0: God is perfect love, God is perfect righteousness, and God is perfect justice. In fact, any positive quality, character quality that we can think of, God is that, that particular quality. For this morning's passage from God's word in Nehemiah, the three key character qualities of God are love, righteousness, and justice. God's love is sacrificial. And this love is perfectly demonstrated when his son, the Savior, died on a cross. An innocent man taking the failures and shortcomings of all who will ever walk on this earth on himself so that people may be forgiven. All who have surrendered themselves fully to God are forgiven and adopted into his worldwide family. And all who do this are now experiencing God's love and joy and peace. Okay, well, how come this isn't happening for everybody? Well, the problem is just our human nature. It is hard for all people to let go of their desires to have full control of their lives. All people want to be self-sufficient. And I'm going to qualify this a little bit. I think most toddlers, maybe all, they go through a stage when constantly over and over again, they say, all by myself. And to translate that, what they're really saying to their parents is, I'm grown up enough to do this, and I don't need you. Okay, so... That's human nature, all right? But this is not how anyone should relate to the Father in heaven. So with that background, in today's passage from Nehemiah, some Jews with more power than the average person were exploiting and oppressing their fellow Jews just because they could. They were breaking the second half of God's instructions, guidelines for living, given through Moses, that all of us are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Nehemiah was angry at these selfish men. He confronted them and got them to live God's way in order that they would make restitution so that all of them together could finish rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And in our gospel passage, Jesus empowers the 12 disciples to bring both spiritual and physical healing to needy people. So let's go deeper. We'll start with this chapter in Nehemiah, which I will confess to you right now is one of my favorite in the whole book of Nehemiah. And the first half is while rebuilding the wall, some Jews are exploiting their brothers. Nehemiah becomes very angry, accuse them of not walking in the fear of God. And then he requested them to make restoration to the poor. So it starts out during a famine. Poor Jews cry out against their brother Jews who were enslaving them. So now let's go through it line by line. Then it happened, Nehemiah tells us. Outcry of the people and their wives great against the Jewish people. Brothers, Now, this word used here is a rather rare and strong word. It is crying from deep distress, the kind of distress that God always hears. The first time we encounter it in scripture is when Moses went to see the burning bush. And the Lord, the covenant God said to him, I have heard this cry of distress of my people, and I have come to set them free. Now, there's a division here, and let's not miss this, okay? What makes this extremely horrible, worse than what happened to them in Egypt, where foreigners were oppressing them here Their fellow Jews are oppressing them. And uh, I remember John DeBrine teaching this often. Proverbs 6 There are seven things that Yahweh hates that offend him, and the seventh and last is dissension or division among brothers. That's what's going on here. Nehemiah continues Who were saying, Our sons and daughters, and we are many. So let us take grain and let us eat that we will live. So many of the people facing a food shortage, they're exhorting each other to acquire food. Now, we don't know how, what they meant by that, whether they would work harder, whether they would just take it. But now we continue who were saying, some, our fields and our vineyards and our houses, we are pledging as surety. In other words, for a loan, let us get grain in the famine. So what's happening here? Many people had no resources whatsoever to get grain, so they put up their inheritance in God's land as collateral to borrow in order to acquire grain. Now, there's a lot in Proverbs about not borrowing. This is... To put it mildly and in a modern cliche, it's risky business. Then we come to this third group um, who are saying, we have borrowed silver to pay the king's tribute on our fields and vineyards. Now, they're not done yet. This is just the introduction. But it seems that some who had put up their land as surety Um, with their fellow Jews, even after they covered their household expenses or after they had covered them, they couldn't cover the taxes that the king was imposing on them and that they owed. So they were borrowing silver coins, the realm of the land, with no collateral whatsoever. And then they go on and they say, now the flesh of us and our brothers Ask their children, ours. So they're saying, why this division among the Jews? Why this exploitation? They say, behold, we are subjecting our sons and daughters, our children to servanthood. And then here's something that's really powerful that I missed all until this week. Our daughters being subdued and not in our power to act. Our fields and our vineyards, are to others. What's going on here? Subdued can also be translated violated. Our daughters are being violated. Now, this happens in many countries today, and and even in the United States. They were so poor that they had to put up their children for collateral. And human nature being what it is, and there is perversion, we we can't deny it. What was happening was their daughters were being used for what we would now call sex trafficking. So we need to understand this is not a new scourge upon the earth. It's as ancient as the days of Nehemiah, five centuries before Christ. Now, when I realized that, it just woke me up. I'd never thought of that or realized it. That's horrible. But even beyond that, these people have lost their inherited God-given property. You can't be any more destitute. And it's not a foreigner. It's their own brothers. So Nehemiah becomes very angry at these exploiters and said they're not walking in the fear of God. And he asked them to fully restore what they have taken from the poor. So continuing on with the text, then exceeding anger to me when I heard the outcry and the words, and then I considered in my heart and contended with the nobles and rulers and said, usury from his brother, you all are exacting. And I called a great assembly that meant everybody in Jerusalem had to come. He had something to say to them. Now, When Nehemiah heard these people's cry of distress, and I believe God stirred Nehemiah just as he stirred Moses to be the deliverer here, because powerful Jews exploited their brothers, his anger was greatly kindled. So he strongly moved against the evil. Now when it comes to usury, um, Yahweh strictly forbade this. And you can find it in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. It fills the Torah. Then I said to them, We bought back our Jewish brothers that had been sold to the nations. And you all will sell your brothers as to us they were sold, so we've redeemed them. Why are you exploiting them? Then they were silenced and did not find a word. See, these people are inconsistent, but let's not get on them. When I sit down and get quiet for God, he shows me plenty of inconsistencies in me. But they had previously paid to free their brothers from the nations around them, but now they enslave their brothers to themselves. This is inexcusable disobedience of God. I don't have time, but I remember once talking about the difference between inexcusable and unforgivable. And let's thank God that even what's inexcusable can be forgiven in Jesus. Then we're told they were silent. And this happened to me the first several years I was reading scripture and getting to know God. People who know they are wrong. (laughs) Are always silent before God. And I've given you examples in the Gospels. There were at least two very different occasions, maybe more, when the Pharisees were silenced when Jesus healed in the synagogues on different Sabbaths. Nehemiah goes on, and I said, Not good the thing you all are doing. How not in the fear of God you all are walking. So, no reproach from our enemies. In other words, if we live God's way, our enemies won't have anything to attack us with, but they've lost their protection. So, again, he's reminding them what they are doing is not good. And then he brings in the fear of God and he questions their lack of walking in worship to God in faithful obedience. By helping the poor and needy. In fact, it's so bad he's saying the pagan nations around us who don't even know God treat their poor and needy better than some of you all are treating ours. And then he goes on, Also, I, my brothers and my servants, yes, we're lending to them, but they were doing it freely. Let us please forsake usury. We must today restore fields, vineyards, olive yards and houses and the hundred silver and the grain, wine, oil. You all are exacting from them. So let's handle the easy part first. Nehemiah commands the full restitution of all they have taken from their brothers as in the Jubilee year in Leviticus. Now, the way this is worded in every translation I looked at, it says hundredth. Uh, But I read in a commentary that at this time, the Persians were charging 100% interest per month, okay? Compounding at double per month. So if you borrowed $100 from a Persian, by the end of the year, you'd owe about $2,000, And I think that there's no mistake here, 98% of the time plus the King James people translated this 100. Now, maybe they weren't quite as high as the Persian 100 per month. Maybe it was double per year or whatever it is. But this is exorbitant interest. And I like what one of the commentators said. If they were only charging 1% interest, do you think Nehemiah would have Blown a gasket and get extremely wroth and angry. What they were doing was just unthinkable, as bad as the pagans. And Nehemiah makes these commands of these evil Jews because God's people will help the needy among them. That's what God wants. So then they said, and here God used Nehemiah to bring about a victory and a change. We will restore, and from them we will seek nothing. Thus we will do as thou art saying, and Nehemiah says, then I called the priests, and then I charged them to do according to this word. So they'd made a verbal pledge, but they haven't followed through yet. Before God's priests, the ex- the, those who are exploiters, who are doing this to their fellow Jews. They pledge, they will correct every wrong they have committed. Um, now, 150 years earlier, if you read Jeremiah, the Jews in the days of Zedekiah, the last king before the captivity in Babylon, made the same pledge. Now, they broke it. And that's why they spent 70 years in Babylon and why they're still oppressed. But then Nehemiah says, also, I had shaken out from my lap. That means he shook his robe. And then I said, so God will shake out every man who will not perform this word from his house in labor, meaning he will be homeless and won't be able to earn a living. And so he will be shaken out and empty. And then all the congregation said, so be it. And they praised Yahweh. Now what's happening here with Nehemiah echoes something that Moses had commanded just before they crossed the Jordan River. He said, when you have taken over the land, have the Levites stand And pronounce curses for disobedience to which the people were to respond, so be it. You can find that in Deuteronomy 27. And then uh, this first half ends, Nehemiah says, And the people did as they said. They all kept their word to act favorably to the poor and needy among them. According to the word of Yahweh through Moses and the prophets as well, God's people help the needy among them. And then Nehemiah transitions back to the main focus, the main work to rebuild the wall. He returned to this work. He took no benefits of his office, and he prayed God would remember him. And after we wrap up this chapter, we're going to see that Jesus gave his 12 disciples power to heal spiritually and physically, especially the needy. So Nehemiah stayed focused on the work of the law and did not take any of his perks of office. Again, I'll use a 21st century term uh, talking about an ancient thing. And then he prayed God would remember him and his work for God's people. So he says, from the day I was commanded to be governor in Judah, from the 20th year through the 32nd year of Artaxerxes king, 12 years, I and my brothers, the bread of the governor, I did not eat. So Nehemiah is not saying he didn't eat. Of course he ate, but he forsook the food allowance that would have taken that food from his fellow Jews. Then he goes on, the former governors who were before me were unresponsive to the people and took from them bread, wine, beside 40 shekels of silver, and even their servants lorded it over people. Now, understand, these former governors may not have been Jews because it was the Persian king who appointed them. So these would have been pagans, but still the poor and needy had been exploited. So then he says, And I, not I did so because of the fear of God. Also, I held fast to the work on the law and I bought no land. He didn't exploit people and all my servants were gathered for the work, the work on the wall. So because of his fear of God, that means his continuing faith to obey God's word Nehemiah did not buy land from his needy Jewish brothers. Instead, he steadfastly worked to rebuild the wall of God's city with his servants. He looked after the poor and needy as Solomon did and so did Josiah. And I've already mentioned Psalm 22 and Jeremiah 22 talks about Josiah. God's people help the needy among them. Then the Jews and the officials, 150 men, and coming to us from the nations which were around us, at my table, and which was prepared for one day. So imagine all this food. Uh, I imagine it would feed 150, but one ox, six choice sheep, different kinds of birds, fowl, and every 10 days, wine in abundance. And most of this would have been new wine and not very intoxicating. So Nehemiah also took care of the middle class. Okay, So we have all the classes represented in this account. And then he says, the bread of the governor I did not demand because servitude was heavy on this people. That's kind of a wrapping up. I think Nehemiah is a great example. You know, God used them to bring freedom to his people, and he kind of delivered them similar to Moses. And later, of course, Jesus would give all deliverance. So he gave up his perks of office. Again, that's a modern term. Um, and that's love in action. And you can find that in the upper room, John 15, and Paul as he's talking about the Corinthians with the gift of giving to their brothers and sisters. So as we're wrapping up this Nehemiah passage, let us follow Nehemiah's example of sacrifice so that the poor and needy may keep the fruits of their labor rather than getting stripped away from them. And he prayed, remember me. As a humble servant, Nehemiah prayed that God would remember him. And and, and here's the bottom line. I thought of this this week. 150 years before this, Ezekiel had written something and Nehemiah is now fulfilling it. The Lord had said to Ezekiel, I found no man to stand in the gap for my people. Nehemiah stood in the gap with prayer and action. Let us follow Nehemiah's example so that the poor and needy may be fine. God's people take care of the needy among them. Now let's just go to the gospel of Jesus. Uh, I do believe there is a a connection here um, in what Jesus' will is for his disciples. In this account that we heard, he sends out the 12, giving them power, and they were casting out demons and healing many sick. So it says, Mark says this, and I believe he got it as an eyewitness from Peter who mentored him. Jesus is calling the 12, and he began to send them forth, two by two, literally duo duo. And he was giving them power over unclean spirits. Jesus gave power over demons to every pair he sent out from him. And then he commanded them, nothing they were to be taking, only a staff. Get this, no bread, no bag, no copper money belt, not even pennies. They had to sacrifice things most people consider essential, including food and coins. And he said, but be shod in sandals, and not you may put on two tunics. So they were clothed only in a simple undergarment. That's what a tunic was. It wasn't even a fancy robe and sandals. And then he said, where you all may enter into a house, there you all must stay until you all may depart. They were not to be moving about from house to house. This had nothing to do with lodging and where they slept. Instead, They should serve Jesus in that town. They were on a mission. And he says, and if a place may not receive nor hear you all, going out, you must all shake off the dust. Kind of like Nehemiah did when he shook his robe. Shake off the dust under your feet to testify to them. So if they're rejected, you see, not everyone will receive or hear with obedience what Jesus' disciples say and do for him. When they are rejected, they should depart with a dramatic rebuking act. And then it continues, Mark says, Having gone out, they proclaim that people may be repenting having gone out. Now, this phrase is the first phrase of Jesus' very final commandment to his people at the end of Matthew's gospel, namely to make disciples. So here's something, and I'm saying it to myself more than you all even. Let us continually turn from ourselves to God so he will equip us to do his will in everything, especially the making of disciples. And then the conclusion, many demons they were casting out and they were anointing many sick with oil and they were healing. So over the entire time they were out, this is in the continuous past tense, they were going from one town to another, casting out demons. And then secondly, likewise, they continually healed many people with anointing in prayer So last thing for us to consider, let us seek to be equipped by Jesus to bring healing to people who need healing of body and spirit. You see, this is God's will, that Jesus' disciples heal people, both spiritually and physically. So let me wrap it up in a simple paragraph here. When some Jews exploited their needy, brothers, Nehemiah intervened, chastising them for not fearing God, and then he requested them to fully restore what they had taken. Then he returned to supervising the rebuilding of the wall and continued to refuse that to which he had been entitled by his position." out of love for the poor and needy. Now, five centuries later, Jesus sent out his 12 disciples after giving them power to help people both spiritually and physically. God's people are to love people as God loves people. God's people help the needy among them. I think that's more than anything else what God wants us to take away this morning.